This podcast has been brought to you with the support of Wise, the account that helps you manage your money all around the world. With a Wise account, you can send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. Whether you're traveling through Asia, freelancing in France, or buying that dream property in Oz, Wise is the easy way to connect all your finances internationally. You can even send money home to mum in minutes. Join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com. Kia ora. I'm Damien Venuto. It's July 12th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. At the start of this month, there was good news for parents as new financial benefits kicked in for them. At the same time, several wide-reaching existing policies to offset the cost of living ended, leading to yet another financial shock. With three months to go until the election, the focus for many is now turning to what the party is vying for our votes have to offer, and if there'll be any financial relief before we cast our ballots. On the front page, News Talk ZB political editor Jason Walls joins us to discuss what we can expect from our politicians amid these tough economic times. Jason, Kiwis were given a bit of a shock earlier this month with public transport and fuel costs hiking up in price after government subsidies were discontinued. Why did these policies expire now three months out from an election? Yeah, well, it was always the plan, or I guess it wasn't always the plan. They've extended it a number of times, but the government has said, listen, there just needs to be a cutoff point at some point. They probably looked very hard and very widely about when this should come off because they didn't want to come across as a government bribe, essentially having this come off just a few days after the election. But at the same time, they didn't want to do it too close to the election date because Kiwis would feel the pinch and that would be on their mind as they were going into the voting booth. So they probably had to be quite strategic around here. Usually when government initiatives start slash end, it is either on April 1st, which I always find is quite hard to determine what is actually happening and what's not because of April Fool's Day. And July 1st seem to be the days that they've done. This time around, they've opted for July 1st. What's your take on this? Is this a fail from Labour not to keep this going until the end of the year? Or would that have harmed their economic credentials too much? These things cost money. They've already spent well into the hundreds of millions of dollars on the fuel subsidy scheme. And I think that the government would be in a very precarious position if they went into the election campaign with this. Because as I've said from the beginning, the government has been very loud and very vocal on the international scene, railing against other countries to stop giving big corporates and um, big fuel companies subsidies while at home in New Zealand doing pretty much exactly that with the fuel. So they would have really ran up against the climate change argument here, as well as the fiscal argument as to why is the government spending money on something like this as well. But at the end of the day, it would have cost several hundred million dollars more to keep keep the scheme going, and they would have been accused of having an election bribe. What about the public transport side of this equation? If those costs had stayed low while fuel shot up, wouldn't that have given people an incentive to actually use public transport? Wouldn't that have been something that Labour could have stood on? 
Well, they could have. I mean, it's basic economics, right? If the price of something else goes up, your opportunities elsewhere in public transport is probably one of the poster children for this argument. However, I wouldn't say rule it out. The Greens have a policy to make public transport free for most people or many people, and they will be looking to get into government with the Labour Party. Now, Labour can't achieve a government by themselves, and they've already shown that this is something that they're open to because they've had it for the better part of well, more than a year, this policy. So they've already got the tools in place to do it. All they need is the political will to do it. And if it's the Green Party saying this is one of our bottom lines, they could quite easily say, hang on a second. Well, we agree with this. Sure, we'll get this across the line for you. I wouldn't rule it out. We would love to see rent controls for some immediate relief for people, really livable incomes. We really have to interrupt and eliminate that deeply entrenched systemic poverty. We'd like to see free public transport, actually, as another way of alleviating people's stresses and costs. Amid this economic shock, there has also been a bit of good news, however. Some of the government's new policies did kick in at the beginning of July. What are these changes and who has benefited? Yeah, well, the maximum weekly rate for eligible employees and self-employed parents will increase, that's the rental payment, from $661 to $712 gross per week. So obviously that helps parents, um, it helps the kids of said parents as well. The government is also scrapping the $5 co-payment for subscription medicines. As I've noted in the past, this helps literally everybody who's buying medicines, millionaires and beneficiaries alike. So I think it's an untargeted policy and the money could have been used a lot better. But hey, if you're looking to get some medicine, there's $5 off there. And of course, free public transport for kids aged 5 to 12, half price discounts from age 12 to 13. They were rolling out until July 1st. So they're now a thing of the past. Jason, it's obvious here that there's a big focus on parents and families. Are those the voters normally viewed as swing voters? And where does this leave the young, the elderly and the childless out there? Well, it's an interesting one with parents because there's an argument to say that, you know, if you're a parent, you've got other priorities, right? Obviously, your kids. So you're not as in tuned in politics and you're not paying attention to every single story, which means that you're more likely to switch your vote based on policies that benefit you. So there is an argument to say that parents are the ones that could be easily swung here. But there's also arguments to say, well, you know, they could be very, very engaged in everything because they have the kids as well. So it's really hard to say. I think it differs from person to person. I mean, the elderly will probably be happy under this Labour government, a lot of them, because of the winter energy payment and other things like that. The childless, I think they're they're one of the ones that really don't benefit a lot when it comes to Labour's policies. I mean, you look at the last couple of budgets. I mean, there are specific initiatives for people in different circumstances, but just your run-of-the-mill childless 30-year-old, I don't know any of those. He's not speaking about himself, of course, but there's really not much in there for people like, well, for people like me. The big question hanging over all of this is whether any of these measures will go far enough to offset the impact of the current economic climate. Westpac recently released a report suggesting that increasing numbers of New Zealanders are rolling onto those higher mortgage rates. And on the front page recently, the NZ Herald business editor at large, Liam Dan, told us that economists are expecting there to be up to 150,000 job cuts as the economic pain starts to bite. The estimates are that we head up to about 5, 5.3, maybe 5.5% unemployment normal levels for the last decade or so, but it means that you're looking at around an extra 150,000 people registered unemployed. And that's the pain in the economy that I haven't seen hit yet. 
So how much do you think those two factors could hurt this government? Well, when you look at unemployment, I mean, the main two things that do hurt a government is rising unemployment and higher mortgage rates because they're felt by most people. When people you know, for example, start losing their job, it starts to become a lot more real. I mean, there is a risk out there that a lot of these numbers, like the current account deficit and the net gross debt of the government are very abstract. And for the vast majority of people, don't mean anything at all. But when your mate starts losing his job or your mortgage rate starts to go higher and you've got to battle with the cost of groceries and paying a mortgage and with the increasing council rates as well, you're really going to start to get quite upset and you'll be locking on to somebody to be upset at. And the government is an easy scapegoat, even though in their defense, it's the reserve banks that have been putting the mortgage rates up or the OCR, which affects the mortgage rates. If you're finding this episode of The Front Page interesting and informative, be sure to follow us on iHeartRadio or whichever podcast app you're using right now. Every listen helps us keep you up to date with the stories that matter. Until now, the polls have barely swayed one way or the other since Chris Hipkins became Prime Minister. Is the overall mood of the nation having an impact on the current stalemate between Luxon and Hipkins? I'd push back on that a little bit. I'd say Labour did have a bump at the start of its tenure when Chris Hipkins took over, but the polls have been slightly tracking down for the team in red since then. I say it's all about the support partners. I think that National and Labour are probably going to be locked in what you call the stalemate closer till election time because they are very similar parties. And I think that the people that don't study politics day in and day out like me, they will be able to, but they won't want to really go into the minute details of what's the difference between the centre-right and the centre-left. It'll come down to policies. But when it's ACT versus the Greens, it's a whole different story because they are basically night and day from each other. And at the moment, ACT is decisively winning this battle. They put out policies all the time and David Seymour is constantly on the news. Whereas the Green Party, they have been putting out some policies, but they're really struggling to get some traction on good news stories for them. Plenty of stories about rogue MPs splitting off from the party and that sort of stuff. But it's the ACT party that is really being rewarded in the polls for what it's doing. So as we get closer to the election date, I expect some movement towards the miners, which will actually be in turn tip the either the left or the right block over the mark. Every politician across the divide has been talking about this cost of living crisis. But what policies have you actually seen that aim to address it? Well, I think it might be too soon to really go into detail about this one, because both National and Labour, who would be the main governing parties, they haven't actually come out with their flagship firepower cost of living policies. And I would almost bet my house that I don't have yet because of the mortgage rates in this country, that they will both be cost of living issues, because that is, if not the biggest issue that is currently on voters' minds in this country. And, you know, it's all going to come down to tax. Labour, they haven't ruled out any tax changes in their manifesto yet, so we'll be waiting with bated breath to see what they come out with. And the National Party have been very clear that it's tax cuts, but the details of those cuts is something that we need to wait and see as well. So those are going to be the big cost of living ones that I think we can bank on being the ones that make a difference. Meanwhile, National and ACT have been really focused on crime and justice at their recent annual conferences. National will back police to tackle gangs, will ban gang patches in public spaces, and will stop gang members from gathering in public. And we're going to tackle youth crime too. Under National, people who choose to commit crimes will learn that there are consequences. 
Do you think that that's a bit of a missed opportunity to attack the government on the cost of living when politicians love to say it's the thing that they're hearing the most from the public? To be fair to both sides, I think they can walk and chew gum at the same time. They can talk about crime and law and order as well as cost of living. But the thing is, cost of living, everybody feels it. You don't need a politician to tell you things are bad because you just go to the supermarket, buy eggs, for example. It's more expensive than it was last week. You buy some apples, you buy, God forbid, avocados if you don't want a mortgage one day, and you see the price of all of that going up. Now, on crime, yes, we're seeing it across the country and increased reporting on it. We see retail crime rates up. We see youth crime rates up. But there's still people that might not be physically feeling that. The cost of living doesn't need as big of a champion as law and order does. And of course, these right-wing parties are always going to use law and awe as something that they campaign on closer to the election. The relief we have seen so far has been quite subdued. So ultimately, will we have to wait until the election to see any more changes come into play? The government can pull a few levers to try and change a few things and get people a few more dollars a week. But really, the big thing comes down to the Reserve Bank. They're the ones that set the official cash rate, which influences the mortgage rates. And so those have been going skywards for more than a year now, consistently up, 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 up. And that has been putting pressure on people's mortgage rates. It now looks as though they're stabilizing, according to the Reserve Bank governor. That is the message that he's putting out there as well. But that is going to be the big thing here. If the Reserve Bank halt their OCR hiking cycle, then things stabilize a little bit, and then they might decide to bring it back down once inflation is under control. And that will be the thing that most Kiwis will see. In terms of cost of living, you know, tax cuts or different tax changes that a Labour government might put in might make a difference. But we're really just going to have to see how much of a difference. We're going to have to wait to see those numbers to see if it's a really substantial difference and a really substantial gain to people's back pocket or if it is something fair to middling that really won't have that much of an impact. Jason, the last time we went through a tough economic period, there was a big discussion about austerity. Is that factoring at all in the current debate? We have to look at the word austerity and really figure out what we mean, because it's very politically charged. The left will say austerity is the right, putting cuts to public services and really taking away the things that Kiwis really want to balance the government's books, which in a way is true. But this government hasn't been shy on spending money. I mean, every time you open a newspaper, there is a new example of government wasted spending. And listen, I'm not saying it didn't happen under the Nats. I'm saying that it has been happening quite a lot under this Labour government as well. So yes, it's going to be a massive issue. I think the National Party are going to take quite a big aim at that. But it's a word that is really politically charged. And I think we should probably save the word for austerity if we're talking about cuts to things like welfare. But if we're just talking about cuts to useless government projects that don't benefit anybody but the consultants and the lawyers involved, no, I think that's just smart government getting rid of those. In 2020, on the first day of the election campaign, Jacinda Ardern promised us a new public holiday. Are you expecting a similar lolly scramble to kick off the campaign in a few weeks' time? <laughs> well, I don't think they'll be announcing a new public holiday. I think that might be a bridge too far for everybody. I mean, I say that as somebody that loves a public holiday as much as the next person. But yeah, there, you know, there's always going to be election lolly scrambles and even things that aren't technically a lolly scramble. I say that like there is a technical definition. It really is just in the eye of the journalist reporting it and then the beholder there. But of course, we're going to see things that are going to be labeled an election year lolly scramble. So keep your eyes peeled for those. Jason, how much do you think the cost of living will factor into the ballot box decisions come October 14th versus any other policy right now? 
Oh, significantly. I mean, you look at the things that Kiwis say is on their mind and cost of living. If it's not at the top, it's very close to the top in all of these polls. Because at the end of the day, so much can be abstract. So much can be things that benefit different people and not really affect you. But the cost of living is impacting literally every single person, whether it's in a supermarket, whether it is at the petrol pump, whether it is rates, whether it is mortgage. People are definitely feeling the pinch. And if you're starting to feel the pinch, everything comes back to politics at the end of the day. So if a politician can make or ease that pressure somehow, of course, they're going to utilize that in an election campaign. So I would say it will be the biggest topic in this election. I mean, it's not gone away. Things are still bad for people, and they're not going to get a hell of a lot better by October the 14th. So people will start to look at their situation now. They'll start to look at their situation in a couple of years' time and assess, well, which political party has more for me. Thanks for joining us, Jason. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.